0: If you have Bibles, you can open them to Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at two critical verses there. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Kind of land there and then jump around a little bit today. Uh, It's Star Wars Day. And we thought we really should use today and leverage the idea of Star Wars to, to just talk about the gospel. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to teach you guys, if you don't know it or maybe introduce you, to something called cultural apologetics. Uh, And so I want to talk about cultural apologetics, and then I want to demonstrate cultural apologetics. Cultural apologetics is using culture broadly um, as a way to pique interest uh, in an audience. And then the apologetics portion of it is to connect the dots from something that's already embedded in culture and to connect those dots to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay. So the method is you start with something everybody agrees upon is, is significant, art, sports, law, politics, uh, finance, uh, beauty, music, tr- something like that that's in culture already, and you talk about it, and, and you explore it, and you kind of arrive at this, this connecting point, and then you connect the dots to, from that to the gospel, and you then show how Christianity actually improves upon culture in many ways and provides something that culture is unable to provide, something that's a little more satisfying. And so that's what I want to do here today, and I'm going to do so using Star Wars. I'm going to start with Star Wars and kind of connect the dots to the gospel and show why the gospel and the Bible is maybe even better than Star Wars. As great as Star Wars is, don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars, but Jesus is somehow Uh, And probably way better than Star Wars Uh, And I think we would uh, Those of us who are believers in Christ Would maybe admit that here today Um, And I'm going to do so today uh, Asking two questions Question number one is this Why is it we love science fiction so much As a culture Why do we love science fiction Christians Why do we love science fiction so much Um, We consume it in movies In book form Uh, We consume it in the arts We love thinking and talking and debating science fiction Why is that and I think there's a really good reason why we like science fiction so much. Number two, I want to address why Christianity is more satisfying than Star Wars, right? Again, it's not that Star Wars sucks and Christianity is awesome. This isn't an either-or contrast. It's that Christianity, I mean, it's Star Wars is amazing. And as amazing as it is, the gospel is so much better than Star Wars could ever be. And that's a really good thing for those of us who are followers of Christ as it relates to our um, unbelieving friends and neighbors who love Star Wars. And that's going to be really good for us. So, as we jump into answering those two questions, I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, um, I thank you that we've made it. Uh, we, we've gotten here in the semester. We've finished classes and we finished well or as well as we could, and we're here. And for what, you know, no matter how we finish, we have a pause right now until the s- summer semester starts. And we get to just rest and recover and rest in you. And today, on this day, you've given us something really beautiful. You've given us this art in our culture called Star Wars. This film series about a space uh, odyssey, uh, a space opera that teaches these, these um Um, uh, these truths that are just embedded into the film. And today we get to look at those truths and connect the dots to the greatest truth of all, and that is you. You are the way, Jesus, and the truth and the life. And so as we explore the seeds of the gospel in Star Wars and we draw some bigger conclusions and it helps us to have a better lens to understand who you are, Jesus, I pray that our affection for you would would just uh, explode and that our attention would even more be focused on you for your glory, And for the good of the people listening. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by answering the first question. Why is it we love science fiction so much? And um, I I want to start answering that question by looking at a guy named C.S. Lewis. You may know him as the the guy who wrote the books uh, that became the Chronicle of Narnia film. um, Or any of his more theological devotional books, Mere Christianity, these kind of things. And C.S. Lewis, who was a Romance Languages scholar at in England, Lewis has this really interesting contrast, and I don't know that we understand it so much. But I think maybe the, the the most prevalent current contrast we experience uh, has just happened. There was a recently in Washington, uh, D.C., this uh, March for Science. You guys may have heard about it. Some of you who are more conservative politically probably didn't like it on Facebook. Um, but it was basically a group of scientists and people who love science and they were marching saying science is important and perhaps our current president doesn't give them as much attention to science and global warming and things like that. Anyway, at at any rate, no matter where you stand politically on this issue, there is at least this call for science. Science needs to be valued more and especially not like, and normally what happens in this is we need to be more pro-science and less pro-religion, right? Science and religion can't work together and there's just this tension there and that kind of gets displayed in this march. Well, this kind of conversation was going on early uh, in the 20th century, late in the 19th century, and Lewis Notes this in some of his works that there's a tension uh, between science and it's not religion, it's science and magic. He says there are twin uh, tensions, science and magic, and they're very similar, but they're different in one respect. And here's what it is: Um, magic, any appeal to magic, think Harry Potter, uh, Narnia, any book where there's a lot, great deal of magic. Magic is a way for us in in literature to speak about the supernatural. That's what magic is. It's the other. And the role of magic in literature, uh, especially as it relates to the characters, is magic is supposed to change the characters on the inside. It's supposed to transform their character in this magical way right? And so the whole goal and the whole role of magic is to show how these characters progress internally, inside out, that magic comes in and it changes the person's life from the inside out. And it's just this supernatural thing we can't talk about. If we can't really figure out the variable there, it's just, it's magic. It's an appeal to magic, right? And so all these books about magic is really a book about watching these characters who are seemingly ordinary become extraordinary through this process of internal change. Think Harry Potter, right? He's just now, I don't know much about Harry Potter, to be quite, quite honest. I've read, like, the first six chapters of the first book. Jasmine is shaking your her head here. Several of you are shaking your head going, I thought you were a Christian. You don't read Harry Potter? Um, and then some of our, like, really, really conservative friends are like, Harry Potter is devil, right? I'm glad you don't read Harry Potter. So just be cool, people. Um, So, uh, but what I understand, like, in the very beginning, Harry Potter's just kind of this normal kid. He lives under the staircase. He's kind of abused by his family. And through this process of magic, he becomes this wizard who's an amazing wizard. And, again, changes him from the inside out. This is the role of magic in any book, in any film, something like that. Well, on the other side, you have science. And the... Uh, literary thinkers and the scientific thinkers in the early 20th century are really at odds, especially if you read all of the, the scientific journals. The scientists will say things like, um, no, the role of science, you're close, Magic, but the, the role of life and specifically the reason why we like science, science teaches us, it empowers us to control the world around us and shape it as we see fit. Okay, so Magic changes you from the inside out. Science is you using science to change the world around you, okay? We can observe, we can know these things, we can go to a plot of land, we can use scientific principles and machines that we build to change that land from a hill to a flat uh, plain, and we can build houses on it using engineering and architecture and all these things. All these disciplines we learn, we can change the world around us, science, there's all this hope in it because it allows us to do so. It's a very powerful two, a tool. And these two things are at odds. You're either someone as Lewis would say, who wants to change the world around you, or you're someone who wants to be changed from the inside out. But there's both kind of a change going on in different ways. And of course, as Lewis notes, these are false positives. And at this time period, there's really not a lot of uh, a third way there between magic and science and literature and art or anything like that. And then, strangely, end of the 1900s, beginning of the 20th century, there's this emerging third-way genre that comes in and it's coming on your screen. It's called science fiction. And Jules Verne is one of the earliest uh, science fiction authors, Um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, things like that. But eventually you get into science fiction, there are people who are exploring space and things like that in the early first part of the 20th century and obviously in 1977, there is the launch of Star Wars, right? And Star Wars is really the first big, like culturally relevant science fiction work of art and it just captured the imagination of America. And what science fiction does here, principally, is it provides a third way between science and magic. In science fiction, and so uh, you'll see this on your screen, in science fiction, people are shaped internally by the supernatural, and in turn, they shape the world around them. In science fiction, people are shaped internally By the supernatural. When you talk about magic, it's basically a literary term for talking about the supernatural. And so in science fiction, what you see is people are shaped internally by the supernatural, but they don't stop there because if they just stopped there, that would be magic. In turn, they then use the supernatural in their internal shaping to shape the world around them. Okay, and this is a science fiction film or work of art, literature, et cetera. So with that up there, I want, to, I want to note an interesting parallel, and this is the reason why I think we like science fiction as Americans, but also much more so as Christians, because I want you to notice this. In Christianity, people are shaped internally by the supernatural, and in turn, they shape the world around them. In Christianity, the Christianity of the Bible, people are shaped by the supernatural, and in turn, they are called to impact and shape the world around them. This is what evangelism and discipleship is or are. They are the methods Christians use to shape the world around them one soul at a time. And so I wanna show you uh, in the Bible just two things where we see this uh, demonstrated. First, uh, where I had you guys open up, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I want you to look at what Paul writes here. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul says this, work out your salvation, With fear and trembling, notice that work out. You're doing. You're working. You're you're energizing outward. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why, Paul? Because or for it is God who works in you. Now there's an inward working there as well in the dynamic, Uh, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So according to Apostle Paul, which he's trying to teach the core of Christianity, he says this, there are always these two things working in believers. Number one, there's something supernatural working in them. God is working in them. He is changing them from the inside out, shaping their character, getting them aligned with his gospel and with his mission. And as a result of that, there are these behavior changes that are going to happen externally in the world of science. And they're going to shape the world around them accordingly. Now, lest you think that this is just Paul Just being kind of a jerk, like, okay, I got the basics of Jesus and I'm going to do my own thing, right? I want you to notice what Jesus writes in Mark chapter 12, and it'll be on your screen. Jesus writes this, love the Lord your God, and notice the progression here, notice it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right now, those three things are internal, heart, soul, mind, and notice what happens next, and with your strength. He's now moved from the area of magic to the area of science. But he doesn't stop there. He says this, And love your neighbor as yourself. You see the progression? It's science fiction. It's, it's Christianity. It's there's something supernatural that starts inside, and it moves its way from your heart to your soul and mind, and then into your strength so that you can love your neighbors. The, the core of the gospel is this, guys it's that there is a supernatural God, or if we're gonna borrow literary terms, there is a God of magic who exists outside of our normal, scientific, boring world. And he is constantly interjecting this supernatural stuff into our existence. But it doesn't happen external to us. It actually happens inside of us. When God saves you, when you're born again, when you become a believer in Christ, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you and it sets off this chain reaction. God is constantly working in you. That Greek term there is energon. Sound like anything you know? Right, it's energizing. He is energizing you constantly with his Holy Spirit. He's working inside of you and he's doing so, not so that you can be like, oh man, This feels good, right? This is not for our own selfishness. We're like, are you feeling the buzz of Jesus right now? I am super buzzed on Christ, right? No one is saying that, right? It's so that as that buzz happens inside of you, it's to make its way into your appendages and work itself out in the external relationships so that the gospel that transforms you now transforms everybody else. There's this uh, saying that old preachers say all the time. They say there are basically five gospels out there, right? There's the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's the gospel according to you and your life. And the thing about the world we live in now is most people, most of our friends that we know who are not Christians, they're never going to read the first four gospels. They're going to read your life. And that's that's always been the case, but I think we sometimes are blind to that, having grown up into some extent a Christian culture that has gone before us. But this has always been the case in the world. And so God, from the beginning, set up this plan. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put magic inside of every Christian, and it's going to work itself out. And then, in a a science fiction kind of way, it's going to work itself out to where now you work that magic, work the gospel in your relationships, and you change and shape the world around you. It's science fiction is Christianity. This is why I think Christians like science fiction, because when we watch science fiction movies, they seem so much like the Bible we read. Um, When I was uh, a senior in high school, which I'm super old, I'm like a suburban dad now, um, which I say is a badge of pride. I got two kids and a wife and a mortgage payment, and you know, I'm in an HOA, and they, you know, tell me what I can and can't do with my house. I'm living the dream. Um, So, uh, I remember when I was a senior in high school in 1999. Okay, wait, wait for it. No, no, that was good. You guys didn't judge me in a condescending way. Y'all were like, oh, wow, that's weird. So, um, so in 1999, um, The Matrix came out. And I was a pretty new Christian. How many of you guys seen The Matrix? Show of hands. Oh, shout out. Y'all are Christians. Cool. Okay. Um, so, The Matrix came out. And I remember watching it for the first time going, oh my goodness, this is the Bible, right? This is the gospel right here, like, oh, my goodness. And really, it makes sense. This is the the heart of science fiction. There's something supernatural that happens inside the main character, Neo, spoiler alert, and he becomes, you know, the one, and he changes the matrix around him, right? It's science fiction. It's Christianity 101. And I remember there's a very interesting interview with the the two brothers uh, who wrote the, the film, and they said, we are so angry and upset that all these evangelical Christians think this movie is about the Bible, Okay? If you know anything about the Matrix series, the first one was, you know, it was what it was. And then the next two were just like really filthy and raunchy by comparison. And it's because the two brothers were so mad that Christians adopted that movie into their canon that they are like, we're gonna make sure there are no Christians who ever watch this movie again, right? Like they just never watch any, any part of this series again. And I just remember thinking, that's so strange. Like we live in a very weird world. But the reason I think so many Christians like that film And the reason so many Christians like the films like Contact, if you've ever seen Contact, or uh, recently uh, Interstellar. You guys saw Interstellar. Again, at the heart of all these movies is this idea of love. Like human uh, cultures cannot escape the a priori or the the self-evident experience of love, and, and you can't quantify it with science and you can't explain it with magic. You've gotta use some kind of third realm and that's called science fiction. And it, there's no uh, mistake that all these science fiction movies end up talking about love. Why? Because when you're, you're dealing with the larger truths of internal shaping and external shaping, you have to at some point come around this idea of the truth who is Jesus Christ because he's the one who provides all this. And so the reason I think to answer the first question, we love science fiction so much is because it parallels the Bible so closely. And personally, I believe God gave us science fiction as a way to just reinforce the truth of the gospel because he is kind and he wants so many people to come to put faith in Christ. So if you have a bunch of nerd friends out there, maybe you are a nerd here, okay? If you have a bunch of nerd friends, right, maybe they're in the band, Uh, they play Pokemon or, you know, They had, like, weird trading cards or whatever games, or they played Settlers of Catan or, you know, whatever kind of cultural stereotype you want to apply to these friends, right? And maybe they don't love Jesus, but they really love Settlers of Catan, or they don't love Jesus, but they really love Star Trek, or they don't love Jesus, but they really love Doctor Who. Guess what? God's already got them, right? You can have confidence having that conversation with them because you can start with science fiction and you can direct the way right back to Jesus, So that's question number one. Question number two. Question number two. Uh, Why is Christianity more satisfying than Star Wars? Why is Christianity more satisfying than Star Wars? I want to talk to you guys about the four types of Star Wars characters that you are going to find in the church. Okay? I think there are basically about four types of Star Wars characters. Now, I don't mean four specific characters, I mean types. So, Throughout all the Star Wars universe, both on screen, in any of the cartoons, any of the fan fiction, you're going to see these four types of characters. Um, and I want to talk about the four types you're going to meet in church, in your life group, uh, who attend a worship service, etc. Okay? And there are these four types. You can write them down on your bulletin. Number one, the Jedi. Number two, the Sith. Number three, the fighter. And number four, the rebel. Okay? The Jedi, the Sith, the fighter, and the rebel. And I want to explain what I mean by this. I want to explain what I mean by this. The Jedi. The Jedi is someone who is shaped by the supernatural and who changes the world as a result. This is a Jedi. This is the hero in the Star Wars universe. Someone who is shaped by the supernatural, in this case the Force, and as a result of being shaped by the Force, shapes the world, changes the world, saves the world uh, around him or around her. So you can think of Obi-Wan, you can think of Qui-Gon Jinn, you can think of Rey, okay? Uh, these, are, these are Jedi, at least we think, based on the, the, the trailer for uh, episode eight, okay? Um, and let me just say this, uh, as, a, as a father of a daughter, I'm very happy that they're moving in a direction of making Rey a Jedi, because I have a daughter, and my daughter wants to be a Jedi, and what I don't want to tell my daughter is that all she can be is a princess. She loves to be a princess, don't, don't get me wrong, she loves wearing dresses and things like that. But my, my daughter also rides a, 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 a toy motorcycle, uh, and she has a Barbie Jeep, okay? My daughter is from Texas. She's country, okay? So, right, so she's got a, she's got a dress on, and she's got her boots, and she, her, my wife will probably teach her how to shoot a gun at like age five, which is next year. So here we go. So that's the Jedi. Number two, the Sith, okay? The Sith learns about the supernatural in order to weaponize it and dominate the world around him, the Sith interacts with the supernatural, but he learns about the supernatural and, in order to weaponize it, and to dominate the world around him, this is what a Sith is. This is Vader, Ren, etc., uh, in the Star Wars universe. And so there is some interaction with the Force, but they're not really letting the Force shape their character. They are, uh, they're, they're. they're using the force as a means to another end. And that end is they want to have power and they want to have control, right? Um, And, you know, obviously there's all this language that goes on in the Star Wars universe. I'll just tell you one thing I think funny about Sith Lords. Obi-Wan is having a conversation with young Anakin and he says, only Sith Lords speak in absolutes, right? And this is kind of this ominous thing like, oh man. And then you like think about it for four seconds, you go, hey, the inclusion of only in that statement is an absolute statement. So you're a Sith Lord by that definition, right? Only Sith deal in absolutes. So if you don't deal in absolutes, you're not a Sith? Yes, well, you just dealt with an absolute, so you're a Sith. So it falls apart here. Uh, I think probably what Obi-Wan should have said here is Sith use absolutes, they use um, either-or statements as a way to control things, much like they use the Force as a way to control things, okay? Okay. So this is the Sith. It's the second person you'll meet in the church. The third is this, the fighter. And this is Leia. This is, you know, some other people. The fighter is uh, is aware of the supernatural, but ultimately concerned with the war between good and evil. The fighter is someone who's aware. Leia's aware. She has a sense of the force, but she's not necessarily shaped by it per se. Her character isn't necessarily shaped by it. Otherwise, why would she marry Han or at least whatever she does with Han, right? Um, okay, so there's some character issues, not really shaped by it, but ultimately it's like, okay, there's the force and hopefully it's on my side, but really what I care about is justice, is, is good and evil and really trying to win this battle. Okay, this is the fighter. And finally, it's the rebel which is virtually everybody in Rogue One, okay, and uh, Finn, Han, these kind of people. The rebel is someone who's aware of the supernatural, but only what is of benefit to him or her. Aware of the supernatural, aware of the Force, but only when it's of benefit to him or her. Again, Han says at the very beginning uh, of, or in 77, in the original Star Wars, he says, ah, the Force is just a bunch of hokey magic, and Like, he just is really dismissive of it. And then, very interestingly, by episode seven, which if you guys stick around, we're gonna watch that tonight um, in its entirety, so feel free to stick around. He says, he has that one moment where he turns and looks at Finn and Ray, and he says, it's true, all of it, it's true. And I remember seeing that, being struck by it, like, oh man, I mean, maybe this is Han's conversion moment. Maybe he's come on board, I don't know. Is he a Christian now? I don't know, right? I don't think it is. Here's what I think it is. I think Han has experienced the force to be true And like a doubting Thomas, he knows he can't doubt it anymore. And yet, he has just spent an indefinite period of time away from the mother of his child doing his own selfish thing. Han is clearly missing out on the purpose of the force. He's still kind of a jerk, okay? And as much as I love Harrison Ford, shout out Harrison Ford, um, Han Solo's a jerk. He's someone who's aware of the supernatural. But again, at the end of the day, it's really all about him. Now, With these four definitions in mind, I want you to just spend about 10 seconds seeing if you can identify them, and hopefully you've been doing this up to this point. Identify them, uh, people you've met in church. Now be cool, nobody in here. I don't want anybody pointing fingers. Don't, Don't be like, Sith Lord, Sith Lord. That girl's crazy, right? No, None of that, right? Okay, okay. Here are the four types of people you're gonna meet explained. The first, we'll go in reverse order, the rebel. This is the cultural Christian. A cultural Christian is someone who's aware of the supernatural, but only when it's of benefit to him or her. These are people who stand out in the public and say, oh, I'm a Christian, 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 when it's beneficial for them. And then when it's not, they're like, I don't know Jesus. Yeah, those people are kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's burn them, right? Okay. Okay, these are cultural Christians. When it's convenient for them, when it plays in, they're like, yeah, I love Jesus and the Bible and communion whatever, Right. And then as soon as it's not popular, they're like, yeah, screw Jesus, we don't like that guy. Yeah, yeah, burn the Bibles, right? Um, Yeah, so those are the rebels, the fighters. They are the progressives. They are progressive Christians. Progressives, progressive Christians are those who are aware of the supernatural, they're aware of the gospel, they're aware of Jesus. But ultimately, they're concerned with the war between good and evil, What rights do we need to be about right now as the church? I can't believe we are not for animal rights, right? I mean, there are people who eat hamburgers, right? And this is the thing, or man, I am really disappointed that we don't do more for Syrian victims, right? Syrian refugees, Never mind that 10 years ago, didn't even know where Syria was on a map, but now that it's cool to be about helping Syrian refugees, I'm on board, and everybody who's not on board of Syrian refugees, they're terrible Christians. I can't believe those conservative evangelicals who don't believe in, right? This, this language they use all the time, right? It's always an either or. Again, they're aware of Jesus, but they don't really care about Jesus. What they care about is the culture war going on and making sure that right is, is happening and wrong is not happening, Right? Okay, this is your progressive Christians. The only time they go to church uh, is, again, when it's uh, having to deal with some kind of culture war battle, okay? Uh, this is your progressive. Uh, the third one, the Sith is the legalist. The Sith is the legalist. We can even say the very arch conservative Christians. To some extent, we might say this, and this might step on toes, but I'm sorry. The fundamentalist Christian, right? Um, Some of you grew up in fundamentalist homes and you maybe, maybe not your home, but maybe you know a fundamentalist Christian and you're like, yep, that's them, right? Or maybe you went to a fundamentalist college and you had a good or bad experience. The legalist is someone who learns about the supernatural, in this case the Bible, in order to weaponize it and dominate the world around him or her. Think about it. There's this term that, that arises in American culture called a Bible thumper, You ever heard this? Someone has a big Bible and they like thump it at you or they like slap you with it and hit you over the head with it. It's the people who lead with the Bible, right? Now this may be you here today and so there's gonna be grace for you and things like that but don't self-identify. That could be problematic for you, right? So it's people who are like, Well, it's in the Bible. You know, the Bible says this. And like they're talking to their non-Christian friends who like grew up atheists. They're like, I can't believe you don't believe in the Bible. They're like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything. Oh, but the Bible says this, so you're gonna burn in hellfire. And you're like, whoa, that escalated quickly. Wow, Brick, you're gonna need to lay low for a couple days. Man, we gotta get down here. So this is the legalist, right? And in the life group, they're always gonna use the Bible to kind of against you. There's always condescension going on. There's always a sense of judgment. Well, what's a legalist doing? I'm learning the Bible so that I can use it. I can weaponize it against everybody else. So that I can judge everyone outside of me that they're not living up to my moral code. This is a Sith. This is a Sith, right? This is a Sith. And finally, the disciple. The Jedi is the disciple. It's someone who's shaped by Jesus, the supernatural, and who changes the world as a result. It's someone who's shaped by the supernatural and who changes the world as a result. And here's where I wanna come to with the answer to the second question, which is why Christianity is more satisfying than Star Wars. I first wanna say this. This is, I think Star Wars gets this right and wrong at the same time. And here's how I think Star Wars gets this right. Star Wars gets this right because the hero is the Jedi. And in the Bible, the people uh, that Jesus wants to raise up are the Jedis, they're the disciples. Jesus doesn't save us to become Jedis, and he doesn't save us to become uh, fighters, progressives, and he doesn't save us uh, to become rebels, okay? Although that was a great Lecrae album, right? But he doesn't save us to become that. Jesus saves us to become disciples. Jesus wants to save us from the inside out. He wants to change us, he wants to change us. Now let me say that, he wants to change us. So you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I believe in you, but don't change me too much. Here's what you should know, Jesus is gonna change fundamentally everything about you. Okay? When you believe in Jesus, he's going to change everything about you. And the reason for that is because love changes people. Okay, Any of you who have ever been in romantic relationships know this. Smelly guy somehow lands a girlfriend, right? Doesn't shower, wears terrible clothing that's 10 years too old, always says the most awkward thing, gets a girlfriend. The next time he shows up at Anthem, he looks like he's off a of GQ magazine, right? And you're like, what happened to you? Like, you... you Thought about halitosis and you thought about body odor and you like put some deodorant on and now you're wearing a a slim European fit suit and man, you got the undercut with the hard part. Like you're looking really good. What happened here, right? Like seriously, last week you had back knee going on. Now the face is looking all nice. Like how did this work? And he's like, bro, I fell in love, right? That always happens to every guy. You get a girlfriend. You clean up, why? Because love changes people, it just does. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he's gonna change you from the inside out so that you can change the world around you, okay? And Star Wars gets this right, this is the Jedi. This is what Jesus wants us to be. But Star Wars also gets this wrong and this is why I think Star Wars, I mean, Christianity is better than Star Wars. In Star Wars, if you guys remember, only a few select people can become Jedi. They have to have the right midichlorian count and they've got to be of a certain age. And you remember Anakin was a little too old and so Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn went back and forth. Yoda was like, no, I can't train him. And it was this really weird process of becoming a Jedi. And still even in the originals, the four and five and six, you know, Are you going to train Luke? I don't know, he seems too old. I don't know if he can become a Jedi. Luke is unsure if he can become a Jedi. Yoda is unsure if he can become a Jedi. There's just a lot of uncertainty about who can be a Jedi and who can't. It seems to be this, um, this status that only a few attain to, right? And so the, method, the, the message from Star Wars is, if you're a good enough person, you can become a Jedi, but if you're not, you can be a fighter, or you can be maybe a rebel, and Lord forbid you become a Sith, right? That's basically what we come to at the end of Star Wars. But here's the good news about the good news of the Bible. In Christianity, and in Jesus' training program, anyone can become a Jedi. In Jesus' training program, anyone can become a Jedi. Listen to what Jesus says, and I brought a couple of verses together in Mark eight thirty four. Matthew 28 20 and Matthew four nineteen. here's what Jesus says and you can notice in, in basic if anyone would follow after me if anyone would follow after me behold I will be with you always follow me and I'll make you fishers of men the three most important things that Jesus said is if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow after me But at the very end of the Great Commission, behold, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. If you're someone who's here today, and maybe you've been uh, a fighter or a rebel, here's the thing I want you to know. Jesus doesn't put a limit on the disciples. He doesn't put a limit on who can be a Jedi in Christ. And so maybe this summer, what God wants to say to you this is, come on, come on. It's time to jump into the story of science fiction, of the gospel. Come on. It's time to let the magic begin to change you from the inside out. Come on. You're gonna change a whole lot, but then, oh man, it's gonna be so sweet. You're gonna see Jesus change everybody around you for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that um, you have given us something like science fiction so that it can call attention to the good news of the gospel. And as we think about that and process what's in your word and process the good news that in your training program, anyone can become a Jedi. I pray Jesus that you would raise up disciple makers and Christian Jedis in this room for your glory and for the good of the people here and for the good of the people who are dying in Orlando and who need to hear the message of Jesus's love.